Hello and welcome. Good morning. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number 404. Nah, that's not it. <laughs> I'm going to keep doing this for the rest of my life. You're going to be on the verge of getting my cell phone number. 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. Uh, quick check out there. It is chilly. Uh, very weird division as, as the cold moves through the state. So it, it is in northeast Georgia for the most part, it is in the 30s. You've got Rome is 41, Adairsville 39, Blue Ridge is 36, uh, Clarksville is and Carrollton in the mid 40s, Athens 52. Then you get down to the south of the state, Douglas, Eastman, uh, Valdosta, Vidalia. It's if Statesboro. It's all about 60 degrees down there um, as the cold makes its way through. The president of the United States and the vice president of the United States are all headed to Georgia today. Uh, the Democrats will be headed here in a couple of weeks for their debate. Uh, the reason the president and vice president are coming today, twofold. One, the president's going to host a fundraiser for David Perdue in Buckhead. Uh, in For those of you who try never to venture into the godless city, <laughs> it, that, that is that's that's the North Atlanta rich part. Uh, they, I don't even know where the, the fundraiser is going to be. I assume at the financial center uh, somewhere up in Buckhead. There's going to be a fancy fundraiser. Maybe it's going to be at somebody's nice house. Um, so they uh, they're he's coming in for that. And then the vice president's coming in. They're doing a black voices for Trump thing at the Georgia World Congress Center, which is down by the CNN Center. There are going to be protesters there. And then tomorrow, the president is going to the Alabama-LSU game in Tuscaloosa, and protesters plan to show up. The Student Government Association Alabama has told students that they can protest as long as they do so respectfully. If they get out of hand, they're going to lose their access to seats. Uh, sort of an impressive play there by the SGA. Of course, the SGA is getting blown up by the national press. It was originally misreported that they were saying no protests at all. And that's not what they said. They said, you got to do it respectfully. Um, they don't want major blowups uh, to happen there. This hour is brought to you by Dynamic Money. Go to dynamicmoney.com. Check out Chris Burns. If you need help uh, with your life financially, Chris can help. If you need to help teach your kids good financial management, uh, financial management, Chris can help. Uh, Chris Burns, he co-hosts for me. He is a dear friend, and uh, he's got a great, great company that helps people reasonably, and they're not going to sell you stuff and try to make a commission on you. They're just going to give you sound advice for a flat fee. Go to dynamicmoney.com. I will get to the um i i will get to the bloomberg and the sessions news here in a little bit i will get to the democrats beginning to melt down on elizabeth warren i will even get to uh donald trump jr's appearance on the view which was hilarious uh he handled himself very very well before i get to any of that though ah I, I'm hesitant to do this, but but I think I need to do this, uh, and and I'll take your phone calls here as well, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Can we talk about Jeffrey Epstein for, for just a minute, please? Here's Tucker Carlson from last night on his show. I, I, right. This was an interesting story, obviously, that with huge consequences yes. that people wanted to know about that involves powerful people on all sides of the political spectrum. This is not right. This is not a, a polarized story in some sense. Uh, the, the people that Epstein was involved with, and we don't even know the extent of it, and we may never know, unfortunately. But they were not interested in doing more reporting on this because of, uh, you know, threats from other people. Do, do bosses not back up their journalists anymore, or do they not do it in TV, I well, guess? What's just so interesting is Fox is the only 
channel pursuing this. So you had ABC is clamped down completely. They called over to CBS to make sure they fired the employee who leaked it. Meanwhile, CNN, Jeff Zucker's network, and NBC, Noah Oppenheim's network, are not covering this. So in effect, all of them are covering up for Jeffrey Epstein. Why is this? And, and when they say we didn't have enough evidence so we couldn't have run these stories, I just, I, like, I don't believe that, right? Because they were happy to have Michael Avenatti on to talk about Julie Swetnick and so on and so forth. Like, when it's, do you know what I mean? Like, there, there was that, that, oh, we can't report this because we just don't have it 100% verified. That doesn't always, um, you know, comport with their standards for how the news yes. is covered, right? The only winner in this, I think, is Amy Robach. Meanwhile, the yeah. The, the celebrity anchor at her channel is having dinner with Jeffrey Epstein. She's trying to report on it. They're thwarting her. You know, I hope she's rewarded in some way. Yeah. So why is it the media is in a rush to protect the whistleblower against Donald Trump? And they don't even want to interview the whistleblowers with Jeffrey Epstein. And they're firing the whistleblower. CBS is firing the whistleblower who didn't even blow the whistle on CBS, blew the whistle on ABC. Well, why? Why is this? I am not a conspiracy theorist, and I am perfectly content believing Jeffrey Epstein committed suicide. But I have to say, I understand why everyone out there in America believes he did not. I saw yesterday someone, I might have mentioned this, someone virally at an airport um, had the, the auto paging system in the airport. Page Epstein cover up, Epstein cover up your wanted in baggage claim. <laughs> I mean, it's been really creative, the people going into stores, rearranging the stockings, uh, the, the Christmas stockings that have the letters on them to spell out Epstein didn't kill himself. The the memes you see, I saw a meme right before Halloween. How do you eat uh, How do you eat candy corn? One, uh, open the bag. Two, pour the bag in the trash. Three, Epstein didn't kill himself. I've got to give people the creativity. It's it's a meme generated online. And one of the, the, the subcurrents here, and the reason there is so much here and so many people are willing to believe this and why it is entirely plausible that it happened is we have a lack of faith in American institutions these days that did not exist even 15, 20 years ago. Americans fundamentally believe that a, everything institutionally is failing us except perhaps the military, even churches are failing us. I mean, when you think about it, you, you almost, and then listen, I, I, I'm an evangelical Christian, so it cer certainly shapes my worldview here, but but you almost, you see almost supernatural forces of this. I mean, just, just it, it don't, don't let that turn you off. And, and just considering where we are, you've got uh, scandals, uh, sex scandals in churches, uh, pedophilia, sexual harassment, uh, you name it undermining the integrity of churches, Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox. You've got uh, military scandals. The military, although still highly valued, um, is is um, it, it's still coming under attack. The presidency, obviously, the Supreme Court, uh, the judiciary, state governments, the media doing it to themselves more than anything. The, the media is totally undermining itself. Uh, a major American corporations undermining themselves, picking sides, uh, saying that there were half the country is wrong on cultural issues. Um, about the only group left that anybody trusts are small businesses, and they don't have enough clout to matter. Uh, and perhaps some local church groups and nonprofits. But for God's sakes, you've got the left even attacking Chick Fil A. You've got the left going after the Salvation Army and in institutions that have long played a role in this country. 
either side is is trying to undermine them and some deservedly so i i think when the when corporations go woke and they decide they can't speak up on china but by god georgia passes fetal heartbeat bill we're going to boycott i can totally understand why people don't want to do anything with those corporations i can understand why people are opposed I can understand the distrust in government of the bureaucracy, of the presidency, of the Congress, of the Supreme Court. I totally get it. I totally understand the the media, the distrust of the media. But the fact is the media still in the media bubble, the media thinks the media is still trusted. Nobody trusts the media. I've got friends who work in the media who don't trust the media these days. And some of them are really appalled. Consider the Epstein situation. The media covered up the Epstein situation. They did not want to report on the Epstein situation. To some degree, the media would very much like it if we would pretend this whole thing never happened because a lot of people within the media were associated with Epstein. And it has much to do with damage control. Uh, Listen, I know people who are totally convinced the media is filled with a bunch of pedophiles and given the conduct of the media on the Epstein thing, how can I convince them they're not? But it's not just Epstein. Consider the situation last week in Mexico. In Mexico, you had a family of Mormons murdered, women and children murdered, children, small children helping other small children escape the line of fire, themselves getting gunned down, shot in the back of the head, shot in the back, being closed up in cars while the cars are set ablaze, burned alive in cars. And what is the media reaction from the L.A. Times to the New York Times to the Washington Post to major television networks to the Associated Press to Reuters? Almost every single outlet out there. I I think the L.A. Times had one. I know the New York Times did. I know Reuters and AP have run stories of, well, these Mormons, this is a cult down in Mexico, and and they've got a polygamy issue, and they've got a violence issue, and, and they may have shaky alliances with the cartels, and did they get what they deserved? It's staggering to me that a group of American citizens are murdered in Mexico and the American press wants to treat them as the bad guys or better yet, lament gun control and how guns are out of hand in the Ameri- on the American side of the border and flowing into Mexico. It's all a political agenda for them. It's all about get Trump or better yet, it's about we've got to ignore this story lest people be persuaded that Donald Trump is right. Can you imagine if Donald Trump had bigger ties to Jeffrey Epstein? And by the way, do you know why a a, a reporter told me this? Do you know why the media is not covering the Trump angle on Jeffrey Epstein? You would think they would have a good angle with Jeffrey Epstein here. You would think that that the Epstein situation, because Donald Trump knew him and hung out with him, would be a big hook for the media. And a reporter told me the reason the media is not covering this with the Trump angle is because Donald Trump is so open about every person with every violence he's ever hung up with they actually believe him that he didn't have those ties to jeffrey epstein but bill clinton did and we better protect him and people in the media did and we got to protect them famous people did we got to protect them i mean by god they got to have access to the the buckingham palace uh will and kate story so we can't cover it meanwhile they want to protect a whistleblower in washington dc about the president they're outraged by donald trump jr for having named the guy i mean listen to this exchange with, with sonny what's her name on uh the view with donald trump jr and it happened to but, you but, but, but we're taking and, your and, name and, yeah, we're yeah, taking your it was it was a case i'm sorry i'm 
health care. Stop yelling. Stop yelling. Not to yell. I could do it. We allowed you. It's like a miracle year for Christmas. Kimberly, you're a lawyer. Yes. And we've known each other. You were a former prosecutor. I mean, did you advise your boyfriend that it is a federal crime to out uh, a whistleblower? I didn't advise him that it was a federal crime, but I did come out of the bathroom and say I left you alone for 10 minutes. What happened when Mama sees this gun? Because yeah. by the well, it's not a federal crime. Reason. It's only a federal However, crime for the IG to do it. That's yeah. in the statute. Well, well, so that's, you well, can't, no, that's but not that's true. The, you can't that's run a lie. With, it is not true. It's not a lie. He's telling the truth. An American citizen cannot be arrested for giving the name of a whistleblower. Eric, Donald Trump Jr. is not involved in government. Donald Trump Jr. is not a government employee. Donald Trump Jr. has nothing to do with government other than his father's president. He can can name who he thinks the whistleblower is he can be sued if he's wrong but he can do it and the fact that she's there saying it's a lie that is a lie that's wrong the media has no credibility on these issues but uh, it's flabbergasting to see the american media is emotionally invested in protecting the whistleblower against donald trump is there anybody in my audience i would love to hear from you if you believe that the media would be protecting a whistleblower as much if the whistleblower had blown the whistle on Barack Obama, because I don't believe it. I don't think the media would be protecting any whistleblower who blew the whistle on Barack Obama. I really don't. They are emotionally invested in protecting this whistleblower. But when you look at the, the situation uh, with Jeffrey Epstein, ABC had CBS fire the whistleblower. Now, I got to tell you, full disclosure here, it was perfectly within their rights to do. They, they had every legitimate right to do. That person took video, was an ABC employee, improperly took video from ABC, leaked it to a conservative outlet, went to work at CBS. Absolutely, ABC had the right to do that. But if it was Fox News, what would the rest of the media reaction be? If someone left Fox News... And had video of Fox News anchors talking about the stuff they couldn't report on air about Donald Trump. Do you think that if that person had gone and worked for CNN, that CNN would have fired the employee? Hell no, they'd have their own show now. Do you think the media would cover it, overwhelmingly cover it, uh, overwhelmingly fixate on it? You're absolutely right. They would be giving amazing coverage to it. If Fox News did what ABC News did and it was exposed, Brian Stetler on CNN would have to go to the, the hospital for priapism. I mean, it, the media would be all over it. I mean, this, this would be an amazing situation for the rest of the media. The New York Times, the Washington Post, the L.A. Times, ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, uh, the BBC, uh, the, the World Press would be all over the fact that an employee from Fox News leaked a video that showed uh, a, a Fox News anchor say, you know, they, we had the story on Donald Trump and we can't air the story on Donald Trump. We had everything, but they wouldn't let us air it. it this would be an international story. But instead, it's Jeffrey Epstein, a serial pedophile whose death was questionable in a, in a federal penitentiary who had access to the rich and powerful globally. And ABC wouldn't run the story. They'd run the Brett Kavanaugh story, which was less substantiated than this story. 
don't tell me it's a media double standard. And and, and I bring up Seller, and I don't mean to pick on him. Um, I think he's a perfectly nice guy at, at CNN, but his angling on this has all been that, that this got leaked to a right-wing group and, and circle the wagons in the press. The press circles the wagons on themselves, and, and they are uh, perfectly of the left uniformly these days and so they never circle the wagons to protect the right they're always after the right is it any wonder there are a lot of people who don't trust the media there are people on the left who don't trust the media they're sabotaging themselves and they're in such a bubble with such a sense of righteousness they don't even realize what's happening to them they're not willing to speak up on this they're willing to protect themselves on this they're willing to protect pedophiles to protect their own reputation is it any wonder we are where we are but by God, those Mormons in Mexico, they probably deserved it. I mean, that that's thats the American media today. Is it any wonder their ratings are as low as they are? You know, I, so I mentioned CNN. I, I've actually got to give CNN a little bit of credit uh, here. There was an election in Missouri on Tuesday, and I read all the headlines uh, that uh, Kansas City, Missouri residents were going to the polls to to either preserve and protect or reject the renaming of a street in Kansas City after Martin Luther King Jr. You, you probably heard the story. It was in local papers around the country, and it was almost uniformly portrayed as a bunch of uh, a white people rebe- rebellion that they, they absolutely despised that a street had been renamed by the uh, Kansas City City Council after Martin Luther King Jr. And CNN actually went to Kansas City to interview people. And surprise, you know who's upset with the renaming of the street? The black residents of the local community. Turns out uh, the, the street being renamed was in a historically black community uh, that prided itself based on the name of the community. I forget the street name, but the community was named after the street. And uh, th- this community had been built up over a hundred some odd years and just it, it was it was a slap in the face to the residents. And they really, really were opposed to it. They wanted, there's a new wing being built at the airport in Kansas City, and they wanted that named after Martin Luther King Jr. They did not want their street renamed. And so it was the residents in that community, the the black residents in that community, who led uh, the effort within the city to get it changed back. And you probably would not have known that from most of the press. I got to give a lot of credit to CNN, who went there and interviewed the people and discovered that the story was not as was being told. I want to play you a, a, another clip. Let's see. Do I have time here? Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I will make it. Ha- yeah, 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 yeah. I, I want to play this clip and we'll talk about it when we come back. This is the Las Vegas mayor. They have banned a uh, street camping by homeless people in Las Vegas. Well, to be perfectly honest, first of all, nobody called to ask what is the purpose of this ordinance. And so they were ill-informed to make a statement like that. It is not the purpose of penalty or criminalization. It's the question of choice and providing service, beds, training, get back in a life of great integrity, success, and back with the loved ones that you share. So shame on these candidates for making those kinds of blatant statements to get somebody to listen and hopefully a vote. But unfortunately, most of the homeless population doesn't vote. So we have had great response to this and more offers of contribution and help because in watching the entire thing so many of them said we were with you the entire time and we would like to contribute towards a porta potty or some uh, containers or help with the vet the uh, veterinarian um, 
care that's going to be given to the pets that come in with the homeless. And that's unusual in a community to get that kind of reaction and yeah. support. Well, and we saw and heard so many. Now, I need to explain this to you. I wanted you to hear it first. They banned street camping of homeless people in Las Vegas. And progressive activists are enraged that they've done this. Las Vegas is a predominantly Democratic city. And the Democrats voted this way in Las Vegas. And progressive activists are mad. And yes, we should discuss this when we come back and why it's relevant. Yeah, I got to get to anonymous here in a minute. Uh, You can call in if you like, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. We left, headed into break. And I remembered, I I want Charlie to know, he better be listening. Charlie's my producer. Charlie needs to know. He needs to... to, to (laughs) I came back from break and remembered what I wanted to talk about. Y'all have no idea how often I get yelled at, deservedly so, for coming from telling people, when we come back from break, we're going to talk about X, Y, and Z. And by the time we get back from break, I've seen something else and like dug the dog and and up and squirrel and go off chasing something else and totally forget the number of times I have gotten angry emails and phone calls to the show from people saying, I'm sitting in my car and you said you were going to talk about this and you never did. And I totally forgot. I found something more interesting. <laughs> yes, I did remember. I, I I did remember, and the only reason I remembered I wanted to talk about this Las Vegas thing is because I went to say what see what sound I was going to play next, and it's like, oh, I've still got this one highlighted. Yes, okay. If you're just tuning in, let me play this one more time for you. This is the mayor of Las Vegas. The Las Vegas. I, I I've been there uh, recently. Uh, Las Vegas banned homeless camping on the streets. This is becoming a thing in a lot of urban areas it's happening in atlanta too um although atlanta's starting to crack down rome uh has cracked down on this uh they were having issues there valdosta has been having to deal with this issue savannah has been having to deal with this issue athens has dealt with this issue a little bit although none compared to atlanta macon is is trying to figure out a way to deal with this issue uh but in major progressive enclaves around the country from austin texas to los angeles to san francisco in particular those three major progressive hubs uh essentially cities are legalizing the ability of homeless people to camp on streets undisturbed from the police it's causing all sorts of problems defecation on the streets uh drug use all sorts of things las vegas is a very progressive city it is controlled by democrats and they've said absolutely not here's the los angeles or las vegas rather las vegas mayor well to be perfectly honest first of all nobody called to ask what is the purpose of this ordinance and so they were ill-informed to make a statement like that it is not the purpose of penalty or criminalization it's the question of choice and providing service beds training get back in a life of great integrity success and back with the loved ones that you share so shame on these candidates for making those kinds of blatant statements to get somebody to listen and hopefully a vote but unfortunately most of the homeless population doesn't vote so we have had great response to this and more offers of contribution and help because in watching the entire thing so many of them said we were with you the entire time and we would like to contribute towards a porta potty or some uh, containers or help with the vet the uh, veterinarian um, 
care that's going to be given to the pets that come in with the homeless. And that's unusual in a community to get that kind of reaction and yeah. support. Well, and we saw and heard so many. Now, what was happening in Las Vegas is very interesting. It's progressive groups are outraged and they've gotten democratic candidates to get outraged about what las vegas did you've had several of the democratic candidates condemn las vegas for banning homeless camping on the strip on the streets and the strip is really what they're interested in the strip is is all the the big casinos the, the bellagio caesar's palace uh, the venetian uh, mandalay bay treasure island um and the like that they're all there and they they have prohibited camping of the homeless there and the rest of the city. There is a so I don't know if you know this or not, but there is a massive underground aqueduct uh, system in Las Vegas. There are massive tunnels under Las Vegas uh, that are designed for water flow when when the rains come. Because you know Las Vegas is, is out in a if you've never been, and I'm not going to encourage you to go. I, I don't gamble. Uh, I've been out there a number of times. I, I, I've only gambled once and it was someone else's money. And, um, uh, but you know, it, it's so since I don't get it quite honestly, and maybe we'll get into this a, a little later, although I feel like I, I'm going to be a broken record if I get back into it. Um, but uh, some friends of mine took me out West, uh, and I went to Vegas with a buddy and I don't gamble. And I found that I can completely get away in Vegas because I don't gamble. So I'm not sitting on the casino floor breathing in other people smoking cigarettes. But there are plenty of other things, too. There are great restaurants. There are shows, uh, all sorts of stuff. You can do great gun ranges. Uh, there's lots of stuff to do. It, it, it's adult Disney World. So they've got a homeless problem. And there are a lot of homeless people in Las Vegas. And they live underground. It's cooler down there. Uh, underground, it's shaded. The water flows cooling down the area. And it, there was a big profile uh, just a while back um, that they found a, a porn star who had disappeared, an adult film star, I guess I should say, who had disappeared. Nobody knew what happened to her. They assumed drug overdose or something. No, it, it turns out that she is now living in the aqueduct system with the other homeless people. She does have a drug addiction problem. Most of them do. Uh, and lives there. Well, a, because of the trends in other cities, a lot of the homeless people are coming up in Las Vegas. They want to camp on the streets. It's too hot during the summer, really, to do that. Um, during the winter, it gets cold. Um, it, it was apparently in the in the 30s there last week at night. In the 60s during the daytime, the temperatures have wild drops. And Las Vegas said no, and progressive activists are outraged by it. And, and I, I wouldn't spend time spending so much on this, except there is a trend in this country it particularly exists on the left. We could get into the psychology of it, the philosophy of it, and, and all of that, but, but here's what you really need to know. There are a lot of people who have decided that if they pass laws and say something's okay, they no longer have to worry about it. They can abdicate responsibility for it. And we're seeing that in a lot of progressive enclaves when it comes to homelessness. They look at homeless people, they see the mental illnesses, they see the drug addictions, they see all these problems, and what they say is, let's legalize homelessness and everything will be okay. They don't want to cure the problem, you see. 
they want to avoid the problem. Now, here's here's where my my broken recordness comes in because I say this probably once a week on the show. Uh, I, I am I, I am admonished by Scripture to seek the welfare of the city in which you're in exile. That's in Jeremiah, and it is not seeking the welfare of your city to pretend that its problems aren't problems because you've passed a law to say they're not problems. This becomes almost religious right for the left these days. They're going to pass a law and say, you know what? The homeless people camping out here, they're people too. It's their choice. Let's tell them they can do it. They, they've, they've made a choice. This is almost absurdly individualistic, cult-like individualism. And I support uh, individual rights and responsibilities. But what the left is saying is that um, this goes beyond rights and responsibilities. It goes to a fundamental matter of government, that this is a class of citizen, and this citizen doesn't really need our help. They just need us to pass a law to say what they're doing is okay. And once the law is passed to say what they're doing is okay, then suddenly the left doesn't have any obligation to take care of their fellow man. And I, I got to tell you, and, and I, I don't mean to be offensive, and every time I say this, I get hate mail from someone who wants me to know that that it doesn't apply to them. I don't care if it doesn't apply to you. I don't care if it does apply to you. God bless you. But there are a lot of churches who are doing a really bad job on this front. Uh, they're sending their kids off to the beach in Cancun to work on their tan, hammer a few nails at a Christian ministry. Meanwhile, uh, they're completely ignoring their own backyard. They're not seeking the welfare of the city in which they live. And listen, I'm all about supporting missionaries around the world. My, my wife and I spend money, give it to church to help missionaries. We've got missionaries in countries I don't even know where they are. I'm not allowed to know because it would put their lives at risk if I found out and accidentally said something. So they don't tell any of us where they are. But we support missionaries around the world. We are called to go forth and preach and teach and baptize in Jesus' name to make disciples. I'm all about writing the money. If I can't get on the plane, I'll write the check to get somebody else on the plane. Amen. Hallelujah. All that. But what about the homeless man who sleeps on the steps of the church? Do you have an obligation? I actually had dinner one night with a preacher who said it wasn't his obligation, that his obligation was to feed people the word and let the Holy Spirit take place. It's like the Holy Spirit wants you to deal with that. Doesn't mean your church needs to go set up its own homeless shelter but get the person some help. What we see on the left is, is almost the same thing. They're saying, hey, let's just let's make this legal and let people camp out on the streets, and it's no longer a problem. We've solved homelessness by saying homelessness is fine now. It's like looking at the drug addict whose life is falling apart and saying, hey, buddy, let's get you some more drugs. We can get you high and stabilize you as opposed to getting you off your chemical dependency. We'll fix the problem that way. We'll just give you more drugs. We'll make it legal for you to shoot up heroin. And that'll be, we'll get rid of the social stigma. And that seems to be where the left is heading on all of this. It's more about the social stigma than it is about solving the problem. If we stop looking at homelessness as a problem, if we get rid of the social stigma, well, then everyone will feel good about themselves and we'll have more money to help other left-wing causes. It is a religious thing that's happening here, and I do want you to understand that. You know, uh, this is very, very, very much like a... Well, I, I want to be delicate how I say this. I've been doing this a lot lately. Um where I want you to hear the message more than I want to shock. And, you know, so it just a random aside here. I'm going to go off on a tangent. You'll have to forgive me. I'm noticing there's this trend in conservative radio 
where there are people coming into radio who believe they just need to say outlandish things. There's no reason to go deep. There's no reason to talk uh, in depth about a subject because let me just give you the superficial seal clap line that everyone can cheer at, the bombastic line that people do, oh, can't believe he said that, and, and then move on to something else. And I would much prefer to spend some time here uh, where I can actually go a little deep in this and try to explain to you what's going on. And it, it, it's kind of the, there's no reason for me to do shock and all when there's actually a substantive point to be made here. So I, I, I want to be delicate in how I say these things, but because I know particularly uh, with some people how something like this will come across. But it, let me deal with this. When you look at instead of pagan, let's just say non-Christian communities. What you find is reflected in what's happening in these progressive enclaves. Uh, the beggars on the street, homelessness, the lack of institutional support for these people. All of the problems of a collapsed society that you find in non-Christian communities are now starting to come out. But here's the thing if you're a student of history. If you go back, uh, go back prior to Christ— Go back to the Roman Empire, uh, the pre-Christian Roman Empire. Go back to the lands of Canaan before the, the Israelites. You know, there are all sorts of things within the, um, within the tribes of Israel where God gives them their moral law, their, their ceremonial law, and their civil law, and it's designed to set them apart from every community around them. And the presumption has to be in these laws that these other communities look this way and God wants the the Israelites to not look that way and not look that way by so operating differently by what they eat what they dress uh, how they dress what they wear uh, how they build their homes how they build their communities whether or not they get tattoos all of these things to separate out uh, and and I gotta tell you it what's so interesting to me as a student of history as someone who's gone through seminary who studied these things, the patterns that you saw thousands of years ago with the Israelites going into the land of Canaan, God giving them the law to, to distinguish themselves from everyone around them, what we see in these non-Christian societies is it looks very much like the things that God was telling his people not to have. The pagan communities then, the, the, the way they treat homelessness the way they behave morally, the way they behave sexually, the way they behave ethically, the way they behave with money, the way they 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 protest, the the way they behave with their with their religious communities, the way they behave with their children and sacrificing children and their views on the environment and all all of these things. I know it sounds bizarre, but study it. It, it echoes throughout history. It reverberates throughout history. And what we're seeing as Christendom fails in the United States, and I do think the the collapse of churches has a lot to do with this. We're seeing things that are thousands ideas that are thousands of years old creeping into our society and it's not really new things it's old things but it's repackaged for the 21st century and the way the homeless are being treated in progressive enclaves is very much like that go to ancient rome how are the homeless treated people turn a blind eye to it it becomes acceptable to hang out on the street in the middle of the night you got nowhere else to go let the emperor deal with it we don't have to deal with it 
I mean, one of the things that set Christianity apart and made them be persecuted is the Christians were going into communities and telling the homeless people, you know, rise up, come with me. I'll give you a warm meal. Let me tell you about Jesus. He'll take over your life and you'll be okay and we'll help you and we'll walk with you. And it was the pagans in Rome who, you know what? The gods will take care of you. I don't have to take care of you. Just a complete separation from society uh, and a complete normalization of behavior that no one should treat as normal. An idea that I don't have to take care of my neighbor. It is the 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 idea of Cain that I'm not my brother's keeper. That's essentially what's happening in these communities. It is the left saying, you know what? I'm no longer my brother's keeper. I don't have to deal with this homeless problem, and I don't want to have to think about this homeless problem. And we're just going to make it legal. We're going to let them stay on the street, and then we're done. Say, hey, we've made it legal. You guys go take care of yourself. That's what's happening. Now, they'll get mad at me for saying it that way because, oh, we, we've got charities and we've got community and we've got all, all these things. But that's the reality of it is they're trying to make it legal. And now look at the reaction in Vegas. Las Vegas comes out and says, you know what? We don't want this in our community. And progressives are mad at Las Vegas. And they want to make it about greed. And they're putting tourists over the homeless population. Well, they're, 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 not putting the, they're not putting tourists over the homeless population. Did you not hear what the mayor said? All these outsiders coming in and yelling at Las Vegas. If they make it legal and just let people camp out on the streets, then they're not going to go get the services they need. They're not going to get the food they need. They're not going to get the veterinarian help for their animals they need. They're not going to get the mental health treatment they need. They're not going to get the drugs they need from, from mental health providers. It's, it's just interesting to watch this neo-paganism creep in and, and it is indicative of this rise of the acceptance of homelessness on the street corner. And, and you know what? To hell with the property owners. They, they can be inconvenienced. It's the progressive who can build a negated community who's not inconvenienced. It's just, it is a fascinating thing to see. And it's something that I hope you will be more cognizant of in your own communities as you start seeing this trend nationwide. And frankly, your churches should be the ones to step up and say, you know what? We'll help the homeless people if you're not going to. Um, okay, I, I got to play this audio. I, I wanted to do this yesterday. This, this again, this is uh, talking about the, the rise of neo-paganism out there. It, it really is something to behold. Uh, if you haven't seen this, it, it's it's started to go viral on the Internet. This is at least it's not happening here yet, although there have been some people here who have wanted to do it. Just listen. This is um Ellen Scott, uh, she's on Good Morning Britain, a British TV show. What is upsetting, genuinely, about clapping? So it's actually not just for people with anxiety, it's also people who use hearing aids, clapping can be disruptive to that. People who have sensory processing issues, it can be very distressing and overwhelming to have those loud, sudden noises. But it is part of our culture, isn't it, to clap? If you go to the theatre or you go to a lecture or you go to a performance, or you go to a gig, you would expect that people would clap. Yeah, absolutely, and that could be preventing people from going to those events, which is a real shame. So if some theatres or some universities say, actually, we're going to be more inclusive and do jazz hands instead, that would be lovely. More people could get involved. And then what would be the penalty if you clapped? I don't think there's going to be a penalty, frankly. I don't think anyone's going to say, like, you need to leave. (laughs) But if you were persisting with clapping, even though you've been requested to do something that's not very polite, is it? Oh, so something would happen. So this is a journalist, Ellen Scott, who believes that instead of 
we need to shake our hands and the jazz hands, they call it. Y'all, what we are fine. Oh, it, it, let me just let me let, whoa, 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 whoa. let me read you her bio, her biography on Twitter. Ellen C. Scott, this is uh, this uh, word for word. This she, her writer loves green tea, gets emotional about cats, lifestyle editor at Metro UK. She uh, listen, it tells you everything you need to know when you see someone in their biography and on, on their Twitter bio or whatnot, put in their preferred pronouns. It is a religious cult. Uh, and she essentially wants all of society to stop clapping a, a historic multi-thousand-year-old tradition for a handful of people. I mean, this is this—it's very much the same thing with with some of the other social stuff going on these days, transgenderism and the like, where all of society must upend itself for a handful of people. We're no longer to recognize sound science when it comes to biology because we might hurt the feelings of a handful of people we can no longer clap in a theater because of a handful of people we we this is it's absurd it's it truly genuinely is absurd and um it's it, it listen it, there are a lot of people out there saying hey this is this is in britain it's not here but the trend lines are that this stuff makes its way here. And there are already people on college campuses here who say the same thing. And we find that the college campus kids, they get out into society and they still believe these things. And it's ridiculous to up in society for a handful of people. You know, so it, here's one of the reasons that I do what I do every day and why I love my job is I can come in and I can talk to you about this stuff. And I know that a lot of you get in positions where you can't talk about this stuff. Uh, even if you agree with it, you can't say it for fear of your job or, or friends or what. So here I am telling you these things. It's absurd. And right now you're thinking everybody can say this is stupid. You wait. Very few of you will be able to, but I'll still say it's stupid. Y'all, I would like to thank Quip for sponsoring this week's show. Y'all, I love my Quip toothbrush. I bragged about it forever. I continue to brag about Quip because it is a great toothbrush. In fact, I took a trip this past weekend. My Quip went with me, obviously. It goes with me everywhere. And I really do get two minutes of brushing my teeth. Now, if you're not familiar with Quip, Quip is actually, it's the size of a regular toothbrush. It works on two AAA batteries. They send you the battery or one AAA battery. They send it with the Quip. And it just works. Your toothbrush gives you great sonic vibrations for two minutes. It pulses for every 30, every 30 seconds it pulses so that you know to switch it around in your mouth to, to get an even brushing. My dentist, my orthodontist, they both think I've been bleaching my teeth. I haven't. I've just been brushing really, really well because the quip vibrations are great to clean and the pulse makes sure that I know I, I've got two minutes to go. It turns itself off after two minutes and it makes sure that I'm getting an even cleaning by, by pulsing every 30 seconds as I switch it around. If you haven't quite tri qu bleh, haven't tried Quip, let me slow down. If you haven't tried Quip, you should. You really actually should. Uh, it's a great toothbrush. I've tried the $100 supersonic toothbrushes. Nothing comes close to the Quip toothbrush. Nothing has incentivized me to get a two-minute brush into my teeth like Quip. You'll find that's the case with you, my wife, my kids. We've all got Quips. Quip starts at just $25. You can get your first refill free at getquip.com slash Erickson, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. It's a simple way to support the show. It's a simple way to get a better toothbrush. 
You go to getquip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash Erickson, and you'll get a refill free. Your brush head, every three months, they'll send you a new one. Your first one will be free. Go right now to getquip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash Erickson. Take advantage of this great deal. Thanks to Quip for sponsoring the show. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The second hour of the Eric Erickson show. The phone number 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. Thanks for being with me. Let me see. It's starting to warm up out there. I, I just got to tell you. It was. It's been chilly around the state now. For the most part, we're all moving into the into the. Well, I don't know. Blue Ridge. It's still cold up there. Um, Rome's in the 40s too. Athens right now. Uh, you're warming up okay. Uh, I'm just. I, I'm more and more mindful of of the temperatures around the state now as this cold front has come through. Last night it was pouring down rain. At, I mean, pouring down rain at our house. Um, we, we got a. I can't spend time on on the weather because we got a, several things happening. First of all, you need to know the president of the United States is coming into Georgia today. Uh, he will be tying up traffic in Atlanta. So for all of you around the state, uh, you can count your lucky stars that you don't have to be anywhere near. The the city of Atlanta. Um, he will be coming from Dobbins Air Force Base in Marietta. He'll be doing a fundraiser for David Perdue in the next hour and a half and then headed down to the Georgia World Congress Center after that for a 3 p.m. Uh, Black Voices for Trump event where they're building a coalition of um, black voters for the president. The vice president will be coming to that event as well. Uh, my understanding is, don't hold me to this, but I think he's going to be landing at Hartsfield and going north. So you'll have the president coming from the north to the south and the vice president going from the south to the north, tying up traffic in every every direction imaginable uh, on I-75, the connector, and, and throughout. You know, so I've been in a presidential motorcade before. I've driven as a volunteer, actually. I shouldn't say it was presidential motorcade. It was Jack Kemp in 96. I was a student at Mercer, and he was run, going through running with Bob Dole and was in the motorcade. They had by that time become the nominees, and what the Secret Service does is they block all of the interstate exit ramps and on ramps um well all exit ramps i should say so you can get off the interstate but you can't get back on the interstate and they do it at about 30 minutes before the motorcade is traveling depending on traffic now if traffic's already backed up they start sooner than that and traffic has to get off the interstate path they typically do the interstate because it's the most direct fastest route they block all of the bridges they cut block all of the side streets they block it all uh, for the safety and security of the president or or the nominee of the party who's running for president, and they can just zip on through there. It really is an impressive operation, the rolling roadblocks and all of that, uh, how much they map it out to clear the traffic. But the 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 offside is that it screws up traffic. So I, I got to go from my house where I'm broadcasting this morning in Macon, I've got to give a speech in Atlanta tonight. And so I've got to go to do my other show first. So I got to get to Atlanta. I got to be on early at three to cover traffic in Atlanta, among other things. So I got to leave the house and try to get up there through motorcade traffic with the vice president. That's after it's going to be a mess. It's going to be a mess. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it's a, there are a couple of things happening here. One is the fundraiser for David Perdue. David Perdue is raising money hand over fist. Uh, he is outraising his Democratic opponents. The Democratic opponents here in Georgia, uh, they they really don't even know what to do. And the, the reason is because their senses they need to run as progressives. 
but they know deep down that that's not going to get them that far. And that's kind of a problem. Uh, they, they, if they go too far left, it's going to hurt them in Georgia. And in hurting them in Georgia, it's going to probably kill them in suburbs outside of Georgia as well. If it doesn't play well in the Atlanta suburbs, it's not going to play well in the suburbs of Houston or Dallas, uh, which is where they're trying to make inroads. And so they, they, they can't go hardcore against the president for impeachment. Most voters are skeptical of impeachment. They can't go hardcore on gun control because a lot of voters actually like their guns. They can't go hardcore on abortion. They can't go hardcore on a lot of the issues they want to go hardcore on, and, and yet they, they are going in that direction nationwide. They, they are starting to move very much to the left, and it is becoming a problem for them. I mean, look, look at, you've got Bill Gates is now under attack by the left for suggesting he may not vote for Elizabeth Warren against Donald Trump. And the left is trying to cancel him. Now, you, you can't cancel Bill Gates. You can't. You may want to, uh, but he's raising a concern about Elizabeth Warren, and the left is livid. I've uh, paid over $10 billion in taxes. I've paid more uh, than anyone in taxes. Uh, but I, you know, I'm glad to have paid, you know, if I'd had to pay $20 billion, that's fine. Uh, but, you know, when you say I should pay $100 billion, okay, then I'm starting to do a little math about... Uh, what I have left over, sorry. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, so you really want the incentive system to be there, and you can go a long ways without threatening that. Have you ever talked to Elizabeth Warren about anything I've not. before? Would you? Would you want to? You know, I'm not sure how open-minded she is. Uh, uh, or that she'd even be willing to sit down with somebody, you know, who has uh, large amounts of money. You know, this is is interestingly enough becoming one of the the chief arguments about Elizabeth Warren uh, from moderate Democrats. And, and let's not kid ourselves; Bill Gates is not a Republican. But the idea that she doesn't listen, that she doesn't want to listen, that she doesn't need to listen, that she has all of the ideas, that she's not willing to change her mind. It's troubling to a lot of moderate Democrats. It is troubling to a lot of people uh, about the uh, about um, where the direction of the Democratic Party is going. Because I, I think most most Americans, institutionally, by the way, uh, you should know it, it is Hispanic voters who have uh, immigrated from Central and South American countries that are very socialist that intuitively understand this. They all kind of understand that if you're taking all the money from the billionaires, you're taking all the money from the job creators. The government doesn't create jobs. Remember, Elizabeth Warren is the one who, when she was running for, for, um, for senator the first time, gave this speech about how you may own a factory, but you didn't build that. Barack Obama kind of echoed this as well. Do you recall this, where she was talking about um, who put up the roads, who put up the phone lines, who put up the, the water pipes, who put up all that? It was the government. It was the government who did this. You didn't build your factory. The government built your factory. Never mind, you actually built your factory. Um, she essentially saying you, 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 it was the government that had to do all this stuff. So she hears a billionaire. She hears people say, you know, it's the billionaire who created the job. And she says, no, the billionaire didn't create the job. It was the government that created the conditions by which the billionaire could do it. So the billionaire needs 
managed to give that money to the government because but for the government, the, the billionaire could have done this, which is actually completely defiant of American history. Because it was the rich people who went west and started uh, buying the land, and, and it was the railroad companies that built the railroads. It wasn't the government uh, stringing this along. It was the telegraph companies that sent the telegraphs. It was the railroad companies that sent the railroad. It wasn't the government doing that. It was private industry doing that. To the extent that there were local communities being built and and water resources and, and schools and things like that, it was local communities doing it. It was not the federal government doing this. This country got built on the backs of individuals in the private sector working together forming communities of interest and they form self-contained governments and certainly they were beholden to the federal government but the federal government wasn't sending resources out west um, as we were building the west as it, it, it defies american history to say that and yet that's what she says and we're going to hear more and more of this as these things go on, I, I I will tell you, it's very interesting now to hear people like Andrew Yang suddenly speaking up. Uh, Yang starting, all of the Democrats are actually starting to be a little more vocal about how far left Elizabeth Warren is going. There's a real concern. We'll get into Bloomberg here in a minute and why Bloomberg is running and the left's reaction to it and the Democrats' reaction to it. But here's Andrew Yang on the Elizabeth Warren situation. The fact is the burden has to be on our government to demonstrate to the American people that any Medicare plan or a public plan is a better alternative to the existing insurance programs. And if we can demonstrate that, then people will vote with their dollars and with their feet, and we can squeeze out private insurers over time. But if we can't demonstrate that, then American consumers will make the choices that are best for them and their families. And unlike Elizabeth Warren, I do not believe that Every American hates their insurance company. I think that there are some Americans who actually are quite attached and happy with their coverage. Yeah. This Medicare for all stuff just isn't cutting it for the Democrats. They're starting to get scared of it. They, they're they starting to be bothered by Elizabeth Warren's push for it. Even Kamala Harris was on TV the other day walking it back saying that, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we don't want to go that far. I mean, Kamala Harris herself is out there saying that, that she didn't want to throw people off uh, their insurance plan. And yet you've got Elizabeth Warren out there now saying, yeah, yeah, we, we got to do that. We got to throw people off their insurance plan to put them all on the government plan. And the government plan will be better when people like their insurance plan. I, I, so I got to tell you, just on a personal note, my, my wife, uh, I have mentioned before, she's got a form of lung cancer. It is um, it's one that there's really not a cure for it, but you can keep the cancer from growing with the miracle of modern medicine. There's a pill that she takes. The pill is twenty two thousand dollars a month. After insurance deductions, it is $16,000 a month for this pill. And thankfully, I have private insurance through my company, and my private insurance foots the bill for the pill. That we could not, we couldn't foot the bill for the pill, but the insurance company uh, takes care of it for us. And I had a number of people tell me that um, under that if we went on Obamacare, if we had to get insurance through the insurance marketplace of Obamacare, that we would be fine. And I actually looked and no, no, that's not the case at all. We don't pay a penny for this pill. And if we were in Obamacare, we would be bankrupt. We, we would absolutely be bankrupt. The, the government would not cover the pill for us 
under this plan. What the government would do is because she has lung cancer, they would say you have to go through chemo. They would pay for chemo, but not the pill. Well, we know with the form of cancer that she has that chemo doesn't work, that the first route is, and, and by the way, her doctor is the expert on this form of cancer. And he knows that your first route is to go with this pill. It keeps the tumors from growing. In some cases, the tumors may retreat, um, it, but it's more effective than chemotherapy. The problem is this is genetic. You have chemotherapy. It gets rid of all the tumors. They will come back. But under Obamacare, we would have to go a route that, that we couldn't. I mean, even her doctor has been very adamant that this is, is it's not a feasible setup for us to be on a public option. And there, if Elizabeth Warren is just building off of that for her Medicare for all, Medicaid for all plan, we would be in a world of hurt. Andrew Yang is right. People may not like dealing with their insurance companies. They may not like dealing with the, the open enrollment every year. And if you miss this week, then you're not going to have insurance for the next year. And it, it's frustrating. It's aggravating. But people can go to the doctor and their bills get paid. You know, we, because of my wife's situation, we take the lowest deductible. We, we could certainly take the higher deductible, but we meet our deductible in January of every year. I mean, the insurance goes into effect January 1st. We've met our deductible by January 30th every year. And that would not be so with Medicare for All. So, so I, I just, I, full disclosure, I'm very biased in the situation, but I know I'm not alone. Medicaid for All would probably be a death sentence for my wife. And for a lot of other people, too, there would be a lot of hardship. People who have good private insurance right now. Uh, I, I got to tell you that it, it, it's it's crazy to me that we're at a point where she can do this. And, and I got to say, this entire go after the billionaires, because Bernie Sanders is doing it, too. It really strikes me as jealousy that the campaign is being run on jealousy on a sense of entitlement and unfairness that that you should have this because they have this that somehow they've taken advantage of you no they've given you a job it seems to me the person who's creating the opportunities should make more money than the person who's taking advantage of the opportunity the person who came up with the idea should do well and in this country, we have an entrepreneurial spirit. We always have, and people do very well. We have more millionaires and billionaires in this country than anywhere else on earth per capita. We, we have more billionaires in this country than China on a person-for-person basis, even though they have so many more people. And it's because of our robust entrepreneurial system, our, our private sector, our free market, and Elizabeth Warren wants to, to undermine that, and she sees that situation, and she sees a situation as that these people could not have done that but for the government. I got to tell you, the government could not have done that except by a bunch of pro small businessmen coming together and leading a revolution to create their own government that they could be masters of instead of having a king across the sea in charge of it. And the, those people wanted the government here in large part because they wanted a government that would stay out of their lives and not take credit for their individual success. And here comes uh, King George, the, the whatever, Elizabeth Warren. And she now wants to be in charge and tell you that your success comes from the government as opposed to the government's success coming from you. And it's just, it's backwards, it's perverse. And the fact that there are a bunch of people who like it shows how much our schools have failed to teach accurate American history. Believe it or not, I really did send out that sweet potato pie recipe yesterday. It's so good. It, it, brown butter, sweet potato pie. Somebody actually asked me, what is brown butter? Uh, we're going to have a cooking segment on the Eric Erickson Show momentarily. 
<laughs> so if you take a, 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 a skillet, don't use a dark skillet. Use, use a sh shiny silver skillet. I, I got to watch my S's there because I may say a bad word. A shiny silver skillet. Um, stainless steel, aluminum, what have you. Put your butter in there. Turn the stove on medium heat. And the butter will melt, and then the butter will foam. And as it foams, you'll see little white flecks at the bottom. That's called milk fat, milk solids. And they begin to brown. It's butterscotching is essentially what you're doing. You are, you're butter scorching. You're, you're browning the butter. You see the white milk solids at the bottom of the butter, and they begin to turn brown. And as they begin to turn brown, the, the light yellow color of the butter begins to darken and look more caramel. And that's browning the butter. Now, why do you do this? Browning the butter brings the flavor complexity up to just something incredible. It's it's nutty. It's caramelly. Um, it's just, it's incredible. That's all you have to do. In fact, I recommend, in fact, if you use my chocolate chip cookie recipe, I brown the butter in that because it just makes the cookie so much more flavorful. On top of that... Uh, so when I grew up in Dubai, one of the, the, the things I learned from our housekeeper, Anna, who made just unbelievable Indian food, she was from Bangalore, India, um, and she would take her spices that her mother taught her to do, and she would put them in the hot oil or butter when she was making curry. So, for example, curry uses cinnamon stick. And in, in, in my curry recipe, now I'll send this out at some point, my curry recipe, um, you take your cinnamon stick and your cloves and you put it into the hot butter as the butter is cooking because the the essential compounds in in spices whether it's a clove or a pepper or a cinnamon stick they don't dissolve in water they only dissolve in other oils and fats and so with this for example brown butter recipe for the sweet potato pie you put your cloves and your cinnamon stick in the butter as it's browning and it soaks all of the oils out of the cinnamon and the cloves and it flavors the oil and, and then you don't actually put the cinnamon and the cloves in uh, all of their flavor compounds have come out into the butter so you then pull out the the whole cloves and the cinnamon stick and you've got their essential flavors but the key for this pie is you take you know jet puff marshmallow cream you fold the Jet Puff marshmallow cream into the egg whites for the meringue. And so you have a marshmallow cream meringue on top of your sweet potato pie. Y'all, it is incredible. It really is. I'm getting hungry thinking about it. I really need a cooking show. In any event, uh, if you want this recipe, text the word recipe to 33777. I've got it set up now. So I, I sent the recipe out yesterday by email. Every week I'll send out holiday e recipes. But if you text recipe to 33777, what's going to happen is you'll get an email from me in just a little while with a link to the recipe archive. And in the recipe archive, you click that link, you'll see the sweet potato recipe. You'll actually find that chocolate chip chocolate chip cookie recipe I've been telling you about and all the other recipes. And, and I'm going to be sending out some holiday recipes over the next several weeks as we get into the holidays. I've got a great French French toast casserole recipe, a, a sausage egg bake recipe. Um, I'll do my smoked turkey recipe, my brisket sauce, which is actually great with turkey. And the one that I always get asked every year is actually how to make gravy, believe it or not. Well, you know, I, I shouldn't say that because I know most people don't know how to make a good gravy. There are some things you need to learn to make good gravy. And so every year people ask me, what is my gravy recipe? And I have a fantastic gravy recipe. I actually modified it from the Barefoot Contessa. It's in my book, too. 
Uh, I guess we're going to have to like get copies of the book and encourage people to call in and I'll give copies of my book away because uh, it's it's got recipes in the back of the book. I, it, the whole premise of the book was if I died, things I wanted my kids to know, one of the things they needed to know was their favorite recipes. And the gravy is it actually I have to make the gravy every Thanksgiving. So you'll get that recipe, text recipe to 33777. And when we come back, Mike Bloomberg going to run for president. Democrats rejoicing over this news. All right. It's that time. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. We will begin with Donnie Deutsch. You know, your first instinct is, okay, wait, this just doesn't make any sense because this guy's going to get killed in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. But again, as Guy said, if we have Mayor Pete or Bernie winning Iowa, Elizabeth winning New Hampshire, somebody else winning South Carolina, I mean, it's game on on Super Tuesday. And Bloomberg's going to be the only person with even Joe Biden running out of money. Bloomberg's going to be the only person that can advertise in California, in Texas, and in all these other states. He's not going to just advertise. He will own them. I actually do think that that's the strategy. You know, if we go back a little bit and winning ran in New York, he came out of nowhere and just in the New York mayoral race spent $100 million. And I don't want to say bought the election in the wrong way because obviously people voted for him and he ended up being a fantastic mayor, but money talks. $52 billion. Let's say that again, $52 billion. He could theoretically spend $25 billion. You know, we, we talk about that Trump might raise a billion dollars or Elizabeth Warren raised $25 million in the last quarter and that was kind of a big whoop. $52 billion. And I can't say that enough that like he could literally just take half of his fortune and spend 25 X with Donald Trump spends. The other thing that he has, we, we keep looking for the anti-Trump. And the one thing about him that is an anti-Trump, he is the real deal of what Trump purports to be. He's probably the most certainly most successful businessman in New York, one of the five or 10 most successful businessmen in the country. He's done it honestly. He's done it by adding value. He's been incredibly charitable. So the very, very kind of Charlotte, you know, Trump is the ultimate charlatan, is the ultimate fake. He can peel that emperor's clothes off of Trump just about better than anybody. I think this is huge, huge news, and I do think he's an electable candidate. On MSNBC, Donnie Deutsch. Well, here's Guy Cecil, who's the Democratic chair of Priorities USA, a big left-wing interest group and political action group. What does he see now that he didn't see then? And and Guy Cecil understands the Democratic Party as well as anybody. Um, What's your read on what Bloomberg sees now sitting here in November? Is it the weakness of the field? Is it the weakness of the president? Why is today different than March was? Well, first, I think it's telling that every time the Bloomberg folks said that they were not going to run, they cited data. Right. But now in the lead up to potentially announcing that he will run, they haven't cited the data that says he can win. I think there's one uh, it's one thing to take on Donald Trump. It's another thing to take on the Democratic primary. And I think he's going to find it incredibly challenging because especially in the early states, it's not really about the money. The fact is the candidates that are in the race now have the resources to get through the first four or five states where Bloomberg's money can make a difference is Super Tuesday and beyond. And I think he's looked at. Um, the apparent weaknesses of other candidates. 
Uh, certainly there's a lot of consternation among establishment Democrats and among uh, big money donors around Medicare for all. I think all of this has sort of led him to the place that he's thinking about about running. So who does he affect most in this race? Obviously, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders are happy to see him in the race. He's the boogeyman that they've set up uh, going after billionaires every day. Um, does he hurt Joe Biden? Does he hurt Mayor Pete? How does this impact the race if it does at all? I think this is where a lot of the conventional wisdom is wrong. There's a lot of focus on on this one-for-one one transfer of votes between Biden and uh, the mayor, that may not necessarily be true. I think despite the fact that people uh, have been projecting a lot onto the Biden campaign, the reality is he probably has one of the most diverse coalitions. And the question for the mayor is, can he break into that coalition? Can he appeal to African-Americans in the South? Can he appeal to Latinos in California? Um, I really think it is folks like Buttigieg and Klobuchar and Booker who are really attempting to move into that first tier of candidates. And it's, um, it's easy to imagine that uh, Bloomberg's entrance into the race makes it much more difficult for somebody at two, three, five, eight percent to move into that upper tier because he's simply going to own some of that vote going into the race. The more interesting question is when you self-fund, if it's only self-funding, that would preclude you from being in any presidential debates. And so the question is, what does a Mike Bloomberg fundraising strategy online look like when you're um, being pretty transparent about the fact that you can spend five, 10, 20 billion dollars running for president? Uh, my guess is that he goes for the gun control crowd because he's the big gun control guy. And he came out the other day and said, hey, my my group uh, in every town, they were able to take Virginia for the Democrats. I got a real win there. He's taking credit for that through every town. That's what they're going to do. But it's just it's interesting here to keep listening to them talking about he's the real billionaire in the race. Listen to Don Lemon on CNN. A new candidate is preparing to jump into the crowded field of 2020 Democrats. We just talked about it. The real billionaire, the former New York City the mayor, Michael Bloomberg, preparing a potential run as Joe Biden tries to break away from the field. A Trump campaign source telling CNN that Bloomberg entering the race, it really could pose a threat to Trump, who is not likely to be happy that there is another billionaire, a real billionaire on the scene. A real billionaire, he says. Tom Steyer's in the room. What about him? Tom Steyer's a multi-billionaire. It, it, it's hilarious. Uh, that that they're trying to do, they're they're trying to to get everybody's dander up now. Uh, Paul Begala also on CNN about this. I, I suspect what we saw in that in that clip with Kate Baldwin. I think that the the mayor was probably right when he presumed he couldn't get through the Democratic primary process. Truth is, if he stands on a stage with Donald Trump, I think he matches up very well. He's actually a businessman. He's actually a billionaire. He's actually a philanthropist. He's all the things that Trump pretends to be, but is not. And I think that works very well. He's got to get through a Democratic primary, though. Amanda's right. He does have a great reservoir of goodwill for having funded uh, climate and particularly on gun safety. I was in Virginia, uh, too. I lived there and I was there Tuesday night uh, for the big election. And the, the folks from Moms Demand from every town, these groups that, that have been working and many of them funded by Bloomberg, they might really love him. But that's not going to be enough. I, I, we'll see. I mean, I, I'm all for more people running, particularly if they are billionaire, hire a lot of consultants like I used to be. But I just <laughs> have a hard time seeing him being able to, to pull together. Uh, I will say Joe Biden started the race the day he announced he's at 28. You know where he is today? 28. Mm. We keep waiting for him to collapse. Everybody presumes, including me, I keep yes. thinking, gee, he's going to fade. 
the, the resilience of Biden's coalition has been pretty impressive to me so far. Yes. Uh, listen, whether you like Miguel or not, that is the best analysis I've heard about Bloomberg. He's got to make it through a Democratic primary. That means he does have to fundraise. Uh, the Democratic the coalitions these days, they are skeptical. And I got to tell you, I don't think that it, contrary to the wisdom you're hearing from some on MSNBC, I think Paul's right. I, I don't think this hurts Joe Biden. I think it hurts Elizabeth Warren and, and the rest of them. Uh, the Biden coalition has been remarkably stable. The people who are going to be the biggest winners in 2020 are going to be the consultants to Tom Steyer and Mike Bloomberg. They are going to make serious coin off these guys, and neither of them is going to be the Democratic nominee. It, Bloomberg should have run an independent race, but he knew he can't because uh, what happened to the Starbucks CEO? I mean, he was roundly destroyed by the media. But, you know, a lot of Democrats don't like Mike Bloomberg. Remember, he was a Republican. He ran for mayor of New York as a Republican. And then he became an independent. You know why Mike Bloomberg was a fairly successful mayor in New York? Because he had enough money who could buy off the opposition. And I don't mean that disparagingly. I don't mean that he did something illegal. It's just you got a, you got a city councilman in New York City who needed something, who was opposed to the mayor on something. He's got a favorite charity. The mayor makes a $100,000 gift to that charity. Suddenly that guy's coming on board the mayor's team. It's not a bribe to the guy. The mayor just knew that the guy was interested in that, and, and so he he went off in that direction. It's going to be interesting to see him nav- navigate, uh, and I don't know how successful he's going to be able to do it. Let's go to the phones, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Dennis in Cartersville, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Yes, sir. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I just want you to know you're in my thoughts and prayers with your wife. Well, I appreciate it very, very much. I do. Well, I've been through it twice. And hang in there. Everybody's going to be good. God's going to take care of you, okay? Thank you very much, Dennis. Thank you very much. Dennis in Cartersville, thank you for that. Um, I do appreciate that phone call. Um, we, we've, we've discussed the situation on the show. If, if, if you want to really find out where my head is on this, you can go to theresurgent.com right now and, and read my morning post or text show to 33777 and you can get that. Um, yeah, we got a lot going on in the Erickson household these days. On Bloomberg, there are a couple more clips I want to play for you. Particularly, I want you to listen to Juan Williams on CNN because there's a recurrent theme with these guys. Listen to Juan Williams. This is on Fox News. Trouble for Joe Biden. Uh, There's no other reason for Michael Bloomberg to take this step other than that his perception is that Joe Biden is stumbling, uncertain on the stage, and having trouble raising money. And he thinks that there is space in the middle of the Democratic primary right now that he, Michael Bloomberg, can claim. This is a really, a, you know, I read this afternoon, someone said it was a seismic event for the Democratic race. And I think it could be, potentially. Let me just be clear. I know that he has limited support in our most recent Fox poll. Only- yeah, put that number up. 6% said that they would definitely vote for him. 32% said they would never vote for him. Right. So 6%, as you can see, there, Michelle Obama at 50, Hillary Clinton at 27. Well, we don't know who he is even still. I right. Mean, but, but here's the big thing. I mean, you got to go back and remember that he was a Democrat. He just became a Democrat in October of 2018. Right. So that's just a year like President Trump being a Democrat before he became a Republican. Well, a little different in the sense that he was an independent from 07 to 18, a Republican from 01 to 07, three terms as New York City mayor to 02 to 13. So he's been a chameleon, if you will, Martha, changing political stripes. 
And now, remember, the key issue for so many of the Democrats on the left, and here I'm thinking about Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth yeah. Warren, income inequality, increasing taxes on the rich. Here comes Michael Bloomberg, who's a billionaire. I think it's 45-plus billion yeah. dollars. All of these people are so giddy that Bloomberg is getting in to take on Donald Trump. And I, I honestly, I think Paul Begala has the most grown-up reaction to this, the most mature reaction to it, that Bloomberg's probably not going to be able to get through a Democratic primary. On stage with Trump, he may be great, but he's not going to get through a Democratic primary. And he's not going to hurt Biden. Biden has the most stable coalition within the Democratic Party. His polling is where it was a year ago at 28%. Here's the CNN panel. Democrat told me today, and that is what I think is alarming some of these uh, folks in the party right now. You know, Pamela, there's a, a lot of concern among some of these Democrats that the current field uh, potentially could lose to Donald Trump. He could be reelected for another four years. It looks like Michael Bloomberg, who has not formally announced or anything along those lines, but he's seriously considering running. He's, I suspect he's one of those as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when you look at, at from Trump's point of view, Trump world's point of view, they would look at someone like Michael Bloomberg as a potential threat because of what he brings to the table on the business front. As we know, Donald Trump has prided himself on uh, what he views as his business acumen, his business success, being a wealthy man. Well, that's something that Michael Bloomberg clearly brings to the table. And I think that that is, could be viewed by the president and his allies as a real threat. I mean, the argument for, to, to Pam's point, the argument for the bumper sticker for Michael Bloomberg is Donald Trump, but richer, more successful and less offensive. I mean, that, that's the, that's the <laughs> Bloomberg argument. Like I'm richer yeah. than this guy. I've been more successful than this guy. And I have 12 years as the mayor of New York City to demonstrate that from a policy perspective, I can get mm -hmm. things done. Yeah, you know, they can say this and they can get excited by it, and but can he get out of a Democratic primary? Can can Mayor Mike Bloomberg, who was elected as a Republican, has never served in office as a Democrat, can he get through a Democratic primary? And, you know, here's the other thing. Republicans and Democrats alike always go through this. Y'all, I've been doing politics going back to the 1990s when I was in college. I don't recall an open primary where people were ever happy with the field with the exception of Bush versus McCain in 2000 in 96 Dole got it because it was Dole's turn, but no one was really happy with Dole. That was the very first presidential campaign. Uh, I ever paid any attention to, um, let's see, fast forward in 2004, it was John Kerry. A lot of people love John Edwards, but they needed someone with gravitas. Remember that word gravitas, to go against George W. Bush. Uh, in 2008, there was excitement for Barack Obama. There was. Uh, you fast forward, though, to the Democrats or to the Republican side. No one really excited about McCain. Uh, the Republicans weren't really excited about Romney in 2012. I remember authoring pieces in 2008 and 2012, and both pieces were titled They All Suck. Um, and people weren't really excited about Hillary in 2016. Go to Al Gore and, and uh, ben Bradley, Bill Bradley in 2000 against George W. Bush. The Democrats weren't really excited about them. They wanted someone else. And now we're there again. This happens every time in the same way that they're always talking about, oh, oh we're, we're going to have a, a contested convention. The media loves to talk about contested conventions that don't actually happen. 
the field is more likely than not going to be one of the candidates who's already there. And my guess is that it's going to be Joe Biden. And, you know, this Elizabeth Warren stuff, I think that as Elizabeth Warren has essentially staked out her claim on Medicaid for all, it becomes more difficult for her to run because it's not even popular among a lot of the Democrats who are going to be the majority of the Democrats who vote. The majority of Democrats who are voting are going to be black moderate Democrats who have not drifted as far left as the secular white rich Democrats have. Uh, The more college educated and white you are these days, the more likely you are to be a Democrat. And that's starting to turn off black and Hispanic voters within the Republic, within the Democratic Party. And that's something that the president should be able to capitalize on. It's one reason he's coming to Atlanta today to do the uh, black voices for Trump outreach, because they recognize that there's a there there. Uh, I, I need everyone to just listen for me, you know, so. I, I, I got another show and we've got a call screener on that program who has he's he's new. He's been around for a few months now and he's finally realized when I get calm and quiet is is when when the shoe's going to drop. And, and he knows that's when he probably needs to turn off the phone line uh, here. You don't. But the, I, yeah, I can tell I'm, I'm the, the serious quiet moment here. Uh, this is important. Uh, this is from the uh, Cherokee Tribune and Ledger News up in Cherokee County. Seven veterans of World War II whose cremated remains have gone unclaimed will be remembered at a special memorial service on Monday the, uh, or on November 12th and laid to rest at Georgia National Cemetery near Canton. Volunteers with the local Missing in America project will hold a small service at noon at the Roswell Funeral Home located at 950 Mansell Road in Roswell, according to John Newport, a retired Marine who volunteered with Missing in America project. During the short service, attendees will join in a procession from the funeral home to Georgia National Cemetery, where the cremated uh, remains of all seven veterans will be placed in one of three columbariums at the cemetery. While at the cemetery, an additional service will be held where all honors and recognitions the veterans earned will be given. No veteran should be buried without honor. It's our mission. The National Missing in America Project Organization has dedicated itself to ensuring that the unclaimed uh, cremated remains of veterans are laid to rest with the honor they earned for their military service. As part of the national organization, the North Georgia Missing in America Project works closely with funeral homes and other facilities throughout the area to help achieve the uh, goal. Now, the seven World War II veterans uh, who will be interred at the Georgia National Cemetery are Sergeant William Wallengren, Private First Class, Robert Green, Technician Fifth Grade, John Embert, Technical Sergeant, John Campbell Jr., Captain, uh, and uh, F- Captain Frank Teasley, and Sergeant Robert Forrest Sr., all of whom served in the U.S. Army or Army Air Force during World War II, as well as Specialist First Class James Sheridan of the United States Navy. Uh, Their remains have gone unclaimed. I had no idea this was an issue around the country. Um, they have, uh, people have tried to identify next of kin, next of kin were not found for their remains. And so there will be a funeral service for these veterans of world war two, uh, in Roswell and interred at the Georgia national cemetery in Kent. It, it, y'all, 
If you can go, I would encourage you. I'm, I'm pulling up my calendar now. I actually think I'm not. I'm in a position where I can't go. Yeah, it'll be yeah, it'll be Tuesday, uh, and I won't be able to go. But if you're in the North Georgia area, and you can go, um, if you've got access to Twitter, uh, I'm going to put this out on my Twitter feed right now. The link to the story, so you have the information. Uh, if you're in Georgia or near by a group of World War II veterans whose remains have gone unclaimed, will be buried on Tuesday. You should go to their funeral service. Uh, okay. Uh, I have put that out on my Twitter sir, Twitter feed. If you go to twitter.com slash E.W. Erickson, twitter.com slash E.W. Erickson, E-W-E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N, uh, that's where the story is. Uh, it goes to the, the Tribune Ledger News.com. And if you can show up again, it's November 12th. So I realize people got to work, but it's, it's a story that I think needs attention. Uh, Also, before I get out of here this hour, uh, I want to congratulate my buddy Spencer Nix at Reformation Brewery. Uh, He's gotten the citizen of the year award from preservation Woodstock. I'm a big fan of Reformation Brewery, Um, not just their beers, but what they do in the community up there in the Canton and the Woodstock area, uh, they have made a just profound commitment to help revitalize the downtown communities in Canton and Woodstock. And I'm just, I'm tremendously uh, proud of what they've done. Uh, they've also, you've seen me wear my, my, uh, Reformation Brewery t-shirts on the air occasionally. It, it is Friday. Normally I wear a beer brewery t-shirt. I, I, I just, I, I'm impressed with the industry and the, and the time and the dedication and what, what Spencer Nix and, uh, the folks at Reformation Brewery have done up there. If you haven't been, uh, to their Woodstock location, or even the, they've got a great location in Canton as well, uh, good people, good beer, good time. And they're just de- solely dedicated to their community really, really doing a good job. When we come back, the climate change hysteria. Y'all, I would like to thank Quip for sponsoring this week's show. Y'all, I love my Quip toothbrush. I bragged about it forever. I continue to brag about Quip because it is a great toothbrush. In fact, I took a trip this past weekend. My Quip went with me, obviously. It goes with me everywhere. And I really do get two minutes of brushing my teeth. Now, if you're not familiar with Quip, Quip is actually, it's the size of a regular toothbrush. It works on two AAA batteries. They send you the battery or one AAA battery. They send it with the Quip and it just works. Your toothbrush gives you great sonic vibrations for two minutes. It pulses for every 30, every 30 seconds it pulses so that you know to switch it around in your mouth to, to get an even brushing. My dentist, my orthodontist, they both think I've been bleaching my teeth. I haven't. I've just been brushing really, really well because the Quip vibrations are great to clean and the pulse makes sure that I know I, I've got two minutes to go. It turns itself off after two minutes and it makes sure that I'm getting an even cleaning by, by pulsing every 30 seconds as I switch it around. If you haven't quite tri- qu- bleh, haven't tried Quip, let me slow down. If you haven't tried Quip, you should. You really actually should. Uh, it's a great toothbrush. I've tried the $100 supersonic toothbrushes. Nothing comes close to the Quip toothbrush. Nothing has incentivized me to get a two-minute brush into my teeth like Quip. You'll find that's the case with you, my wife, my kids. We've all got Quips. Quip starts at just $25. You can get your first refill free at getquip.com slash Erickson, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. It's a simple way to support the show. It's a simple way to get a better toothbrush. You go to get Quip, 
G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash Erickson, and you'll get a refill free. Your brush head, every three months, they'll send you a new one. Your first one will be free. Go right now to GetQuip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash Erickson. Take advantage of this great deal. Thanks to Quip for sponsoring the show. Hello, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The third hour, the phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. You know, I'm really, really noticing the Democrats are going all in on the doom and gloom climate change stuff. I, I think they've really decided that they've got to scare people to get involved and it starts with this weather channel uh promo i want to play the weather channel promo but uh, in all seriousness it doesn't do justice to show it on the radio or to play it on the radio because you can't really see the graphics of the the oceans rising and in swamping coastlines of north america but you'll get a sense of it in the next 12 years if we do nothing it will be irreversible in terms of the harm so the, the we cannot afford the cost of doing nothing because without action, the world could look like this. When today's youngest voters become our country's oldest voters. And the time to debate solutions is up. Okay, so I, I got to set the stage here for you. Yeah, the, the time to come up with solutions is up. Um, if we don't do something now, we've got 12 years or we're all going to die. So um, my buddy Chris Burns, who hosts Dynamic Money, uh, who fills in for me. Uh, he's his dynamic money actually sponsors this program. Uh, you can go to dynamicmoney.com. He's my wife's and my financial, uh, advisor planner. I don't have a good business sense and he's got a phenomenal one. Uh, and, uh, just a good guy, former youth pastor. And he does these, um, in fact, you'll start hearing them, uh, on my, on this show where we're working on a, on a different sort of sponsorship and we're going to play his, his things. And, and, they're good. They're really good. He's very personable and he doesn't want you to freak out about the future. And, and his, his thinking is that, you know, if you're in your, like me, I'm, so I'm 44 now. And if you're in your mid forties and younger, you've still, you, you've got time in the workforce to take risk with your investments, uh, to, to get your investments growing. And as you get closer and closer to your sixties, you want to start scaling back on the risk, um, because you're not going to have time to rebuild it if you lose it in the workforce, uh, but that you shouldn't freak out. And if you're if you're a kid right now and you're struggling, don't worry. You've got 30, 40 years ahead of you. Compound interest rates, you're, you're going to be okay. Your parents need to worry more than you do. And he, he's not very scary. Um, he, he, thankfully, he's very reasonable in what he does. Uh, he's a very gregarious, likable person, uh, very laid back, so you don't feel threatened. And, and well, one of his competitors uh, runs an ad, and it dun dun dun. You need to plan for your retirement now. You don't know what the stock market's going to do. It may be crashing. You better call us today. And just trying to to get get your anxiety up, so you go. Listen, I know a lot about anxiety these days, and I'm telling you uh, that this this doom and gloom. We're all going to die. You got to do something. It, it, the media seems to be amping this up. And it goes back to the conversation we had yesterday about anxiety and in this NBC news data that as we get closer to the election, people's anxiety levels are rising about 2020. They've got so much to worry about. And the media is feeding it with this climate change stuff. And the democratic candidates are feeding it with this climate change stuff that we're all going to die. I mean, just listen to this. We know that climate refugees are going to continue to increase in number as, um, the desertification of more land, for example, in Africa, 
means that people can't till the soil. They will become climate refugees. As people lose access to water, they will become climate refugees. As the shorelines uh, impinge on their traditional homelands, they will become climate refugees. Um, and it's true all around the world. Um, the consequence of that is not simply that people will need aid and help, but it's also that it will produce more conflict. There will be fights over water. There will be fights over land that can be farmed for food. Um, and this poses a threat in the local areas, but it poses a global threat. Uh, just, just, I mean, the doom and gloom and nightmare scenarios. And the Democrats will counter and say they're being serious. This is what the data says. We've got to do something. But the whole idea, we've got 12 years left or we're all going to die and, and war is going to break out because of climate. <laughs> there are just three industries in America that produce together about 70% of all our carbon emissions. You push those three industries and all of a sudden the world looks different. So by 2028, what I plan is that all new building, housing, new buildings will have zero carbon footprint. They don't, no more carbon emissions from our buildings. By 2030, all new cars and light duty trucks, zero carbon footprint. And by 2035, the production of electricity Zero carbon footprint. But it's not just her. It's not just Elizabeth Warren. Bernie Sanders is in on this as well. There are some states that still generate their electricity primarily via coal. And how do we get them to switch to a cleaner energy so that if I operate my electric vehicle, I'm not increasing emissions? Well, look, again, as a nation, in my view, and what our plan is about is moving us away from fossil fuel. That's coal, oil, gas. Uh, we call for the underfracking. Uh, and what we do that, we do that among other ways uh, by simply eliminating all of the subsidies uh, and tax breaks. So we're going to get rid of fracking. We're going to get rid of natural gas. This goes back to the Joe Biden clip yesterday. And again, I, I want to recirculate this Biden clip that I played yesterday. He goes down to Louisiana. Reporter asks him about what we're going to do with oil and, and gas. you got to remember that in South Louisiana, a lot of people who were shrimp, uh, shrimp fishermen, uh, they, they would shrimp, they would fish, they would make their lives off the land. When Katrina came through, it, it sunk their boats or put their boats in trees. You go down to South Louisiana, you can still see boats and trees. And I'm not kidding. Uh, there are live oak trees down in Louisiana that have boats in them still from Katrina, uh, from Katrina 14 years ago, Katrina. And here comes Joe Biden down there. He gets asked this question. Oil and gas revenue is a big topic here for Louisiana right now. You dealt with this when you were in the Senate. You dealt with this when you were vice president. How important, what would you do if elected to make sure Louisiana gets its fair share of oil and gas revenue as so much drilling is done off the Louisiana coast right now? Now, I got to pause there because li listen to what this guy is saying. What do you, you do to make sure Louisiana gets its, its fair share of the money that's coming from coastal Louisiana? Because a lot of that goes into the federal government. What do you do to make sure Louisiana gets it instead? And what's Biden's answer? First of all, I think the drilling off the coast over time has to end up being phased out. We have to provide alternatives here. But the fact is that oil, the, the places that you are taking the for the supplying the nation with energy needs should be compensated in the, the, where, where it comes from. 
So I've never argued against that proposition. What I have argued against is the notion that the answer to this is to find more fossil fuels to burn. The fact of the matter is, you're going to have, your state and mine are going to be mostly underwater. We're about three, three, three feet above sea level. The fact is that, in fact, the seas are rising. We got, according to the UN report, about 11 years left before it becomes irredeemable. And we have to take drastic action now. For example, we, we should have over half a million charging stations around the country that you could have electric vehicles to plug in. The reason why people aren't buying them, where, where, do, you, where, where do you refuel? Right. Okay? So there's a lot of practical things we can do quickly. And I think we should be doing a lot more in terms of tripling the offshore wind capacity that exists in the nation. I don't think we need more offshore drilling. Um, and I think we should focus on, but we have to find transitions for people who are hurt by it. Just like where I come from in Scranton coal mines or in West Virginia, you have to transition. But we cannot continue, cannot continue to burn fossil fuels at the rate we're doing now. Let me step back and handle this differently from just raw conservative punditry. Do you know the difference between tactics and strategy? The strategy is, so let, let me tell you, when I was a campaign consultant and I would sit down with candidates, we would sit down and I would sit down with them and their spouses and their, their friends and we would kind of figure out what their strengths and weaknesses are. And from their strengths and weaknesses, we would figure out who's your most likely opponent and we would do a SWOT analysis of your strengths and weaknesses and it, we would decide that, okay, your strengths uh, combat these weaknesses on this side. Here are your weaknesses. How can we uh, match your weaknesses to their strengths? Kind of jujitsu moves to offset your weaknesses. And from those, inevitably, you would find your campaign theme. From your campaign theme, then, you kind of match out a strategy of how am I going to win? Uh, okay, so let, let me let me do real-world example here. Uh, Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp running against Casey Cagle in the Republican primary. Casey Cagle is the establishment guy. Casey Cagle is well-established in the north side of Georgia, uh, Hall County and the like. Uh, he's got prominent backing from prominent lobbyists. He's got a lot of money. Um, he's, he's been there for a while. So what will your strategy be if you're Brian Kemp? Well, you're going to make it an Atlanta versus Georgia campaign. You're going to say that, that I'm with you. I'm not with the money delete because there's growing distrust and you're going to go down to South Georgia and you're going to start organizing counties outside of Atlanta and North Georgia. You're not going to seed the ground there, but you're going to establish your base elsewhere first. And, and that's going to be your strategy to get elected. And so what are your tactics? Your tactics are what you do to implement your strategy. So you're going to hire someone on the ground in each of these counties. Those people are going to go find individuals who might be persuadable. You're going to go do events in these areas. You're going to do direct mail. You're going to do door to door. These are all individual tactics for your overall strategy. Your overall strategy is to make this an Atlanta versus everyone else. Your overall strategy is to make this the elite versus everyone else. Your overall strategy is I'm the common man and he's not. And this transcends then into the general election. Remember, you never want a strategy. You, you never want a strategy 
where you are able to win a primary, but then you lose the general election because of your strategy. You need an overarching strategy. So Kemp, in uh, forming his strategy, would have known, you know, the odds are Stacey Abrams is going to be the nominee. Stacey Abrams has been in a leadership position among the Democrats. She is an Atlanta candidate. And so Kemp was able to take his primary strategy and then flip it very easily into a general election strategy of Atlanta versus everyone else. And it certainly hurt him in the suburbs of Atlanta to a degree, but there were other issues that impacted that. But it was a strategy he didn't have to completely upend once he won the primary because it was a very consistent strategy. And the tactics may have changed along the way, but he had an overarching message and he had an overarching strategy of what he was going to do organizing South Georgia counties, and it worked. I bring that up here because we tend to focus on the day-to-day news. The strategy is the overall picture, and the day-to-day news is the tactics. And we spend a lot of time looking at the tactics. We spend a lot of time looking at the day-to-day machinations of the candidates. And on a day-to-day basis, you've got uh, impeachment, you got Donald Trump, you got whistleblowers, you've got uh, the, the Democrats uh, just relentless focus on the president, and it drowns out the president's message. And the president's looking at this for a long-term strategy play and saying, okay, people don't like me. I'm not the popular guy, but the economy is good. People have jobs and the Democrats plan to wreck it. And the Democrats plan to, um, the Democrats plan to be very vocal about fear tactics and scaring people into voting for them. There's a level of resentment. And I, I got to tell you, I'm thinking that they have a the, the, the Republicans do have a real path forward in 2020 as the Democrats go down this dark road of we're going to give you doom and gloom. We're going to destroy the economy. We're going to ruin your way of life because some abstract scenario about climate change uh, we believe in. We do believe the world is going to come to an end in 12 years unless you put us in charge. And by the way, that's a message of never giving up power, too. You do understand that for all the talk about the Republicans being authoritarian, uh, the Democrats' message right now is is Republicans are going to destroy the planet in the next 12 years. We've got to hold on to power for 12 years. Well, term limits, you, you only get eight years, so what's going to happen? And then we got to wipe out your way of existence in Louisiana. You people wiped out. The, the hurricanes did it to you. It was climate change, you know, that did it with Katrina. Never mind that it wasn't. And so you all got jobs in oil and gas. Well, now we got to wipe out that industry, too, in Louisiana. you got to go do something else. But we'll transition you. We won't transition you to boy to girl, but we'll transition you from, from oil field to something else. We don't know what. Maybe you can build a wind turbine. The president has a good message for re-election. The day-to-day minutia kind of drowns it out. It makes people nervous. Uh, people keep their eye off the ball. But... There's a real message there compared to the Democrats doom and gloom and wrecking the economy. And that kind of stuff matters to people, and they do kind of pick up on it over time. Interestingly enough, uh, there have been several reports out now that the vice president is spending more time on the campaign trail than the president. The president's been doing his big rallies, but the vice president meeting with smaller groups. One reason he'll be coming into Georgia, helping the president with his um, uh, Black Voices for Trump event. But the vice president has also been out there and he's got a a good message for reelection for the president. It was freedom. Not socialism that ended slavery, won two world wars, and has America today standing as a beacon of hope. 
for all the world. You know, I believe that the moment that America becomes a socialist country is the moment that America ceases to be America. And so, I believe it's incumbent on all of us. Maybe especially you here in this first-in-the-nation primary state. To say with one voice, as President Trump said in his State of the Union address, America will never be a socialist country. A lot of people are looking at, at Virginia and looking at Matt Bevin's race in Kentucky saying, oh, yeah, you know, you know, you know, um, it, 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 this message didn't work. The culture war issues didn't work. Well, maybe not in Virginia, which has been trending blue and which the president doesn't expect to win in 2020. But in Kentucky, he's going to win it. That was a Matt Bevin thing. They're, they're badly misreading the election. Here, here's a little more of the vice president. The truth is, when you look at all that we've done, you have to conclude the president, Donald Trump, delivered. I mean, think about it. We've rebuilt our military and restored the arsenal of democracy. The American economy is booming. We've cut illegal immigration at our southern border in half in just the past four months. And the president has appointed a record number of conservatives to our federal courts at every level. I mean, jobs are back. Confidence is back. In a word, America is back, New Hampshire, and we're just getting started. They do think they can make a play for New Hampshire in 2020, and there's also going to be an interesting Senate race up there in New Hampshire in 2020 that Republicans are optimistic for. Uh, this this is this is a compelling long-term message, and it's so it gets drowned out in the media these days. Uh, the media really is so hostile to the president. Uh, I, and you know, listen, I'm not a huge fan of President Trump's. I've told him that he and I agree to disagree on things. We've talked on the phone. And I'm still planning on voting for him in 2020. I, I, so I've got a piece up at uh, the resurgent this morning, and largely just uh, my 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 head hasn't been in, in a good place in the last number of months. And I mentioned this, spent some time with this yesterday on anxiety, just getting out of town for a few days, uh, clearing my head uh, after months and months of being unable to clear my head. Suddenly, clear my head and and, and realize um, that. Man, I, I have I've just I've kind of been nonstop since March. I haven't had a break, and things have just kind of built up, and it, it's it, the pressures and, and the demands. And but one of the things I, I wrote in this piece this morning is that I, I'm not happy with the field. I, I think 2020 is kind of a BS election, and, and I, I use the actual word on on the side. I, I won't use that on radio program directors across America. Don't worry, I'm not going to say it, but. It is kind of a BS election, if we're honest about it. I don't really care for the president, and I certainly don't care for the other side. I mean, I'm trying to find the actual paragraph here so I can read you my own words as opposed to recreating my own words. Here it is. Um, Here's what I know. 2020 is a BS election, and yeah, it's my side. I don't allow profanity, but there it is. We've got the choice between the internet comment section and human form versus one of several geriatrics. There's the one who writes rape fantasies. That's Bernie Sanders, by the way. If you didn't know, Bernie Sanders has in his past written rape fantasies. There's the one who doesn't know what state he's in, and there's the one who thinks she can pull money out of thin air and billionaires' backsides to fund a utopia no one outside Harvard wants. I don't really like any of them. But I know which one's not going to take my guns. I know which one's not going to take my money. I know which one's not going to wreck my economy or the 401k. And I know which one's not going to take my church's nonprofit status. It's a BS election. 
And I, I, I feel, I don't think it actually is an emotional thing. I, I feel like we're being held hostage in deciding who we want to pull the trigger. The president's put a heretic in charge of faith outreach. A bunch of evangelicals think they can behave like brain biblical donkeys because the president does. The, the Democrats have a bunch of biblical donkeys themselves who don't want anything other than destroying churches. You got the insufferable Episcopalian who only rich white people and reporters like who keeps twisting scripture like the devil tw- tormenting Jesus, tempting Jesus, and we're supposed to give him a pass because he's gay and a millennial. I don't like any of these people, but I'll vote for Trump because he's not going to wreck the economy. So the U.S. has decided to raise the age limit for vaping to 21, according to the Trump administration. Um, um this makes my head hurt. If you're going to do it for vaping, why not do it for cigarettes too? This just seems like we're, we're in kind of some moral panic over vaping. Yes, people have died, but you, do you know where the, the bulk of the, the deaths have come from? People aren't buying. Uh, it's, it's not from uh, vape products they get in a grocery store. It's from people buying um recycled cartridges on the internet that have marijuana in them. People who live in states where it's not legal and the kids want to get high and and they go online and they find people who will sell them the recycled cartridges. That's what's going on here. Uh, just it's it's kind of kind of crazy to me uh, the moral panic that we're in over this and now we're going to raise the age of vaping to twenty one but we're going to uh, we're we're going to actually let the let people stay eighteen to buy cigarettes uh, uh, that's just that's silly uh, that's that's ridiculous nanny statism okay uh, I I want to turn to Donald Trump Jr who was on the View I, so I hesitate to play this stuff uh, and the reason I hesitate to play it is it, you know. I, I really hate these days on TV and, and I was on TV. I was on a, a panel one time on CNN where I think there may, there were either nine or 12 of us. I think it was a panel of 12, but it may have been, um, it may have only been nine. And it was just it, all the yeah, yeah stuff. It drives me crazy. And, and that's why I hesitate to play this because there's a lot of talking over each other and that stuff drives me crazy. Uh, but I, I, I do think it was incredible that Donald Trump Jr., uh, he he went for it on The View, and, and they went after him, and he held his own. You don't regret secret. doing that. I don't regret doing it. No, okay. I don't think I should have to forego my First right. Amendment it, rights. It's out there. I read it in an article. I've been reading it for a week. I saw it on the Drudge Report. Like, this is not some secret, but to then say, because it's Donald Trump Jr., because he's an outspoken guy, to then rally, create, okay? made, why was there no outrage when Drudge Report, <laughs> okay. which is a major website, Calm probably down. the largest aggregator of media news mm-hmm. in America, he puts it out there a few days ago, and no, crickets, no no problem with that. Because on, probably like, oh, not a lot of people knew that it was out there, but once you put it it's out, on drug, see, well, but here's millions the, of people see yes, drug but today. You know, people are upset with Donald Trump Jr. for outing the the name of the whistleblower. By the way, what's so interesting here is no one's denying that that's the whistleblower now. No one's denying that, that that is the whistleblower. And Donald Trump Jr. outed the guy, and people are mad at Donald Trump Jr. for outing the guy. Again, th- this comes full circle to the very beginning of this program this morning. 
Would the media be outraged if some if um, if someone outed a whistleblower against Barack Obama? I, I don't think they would. I think the media would set out to ruin a whistleblower who blew the whistle on a Democrat. Which is why I, I think it's it's hysterical. It, it, it's kind of outrageous to some degree, but very funny to watch the media go nuts over protecting this whistleblower. I mean, ABC News can get CBS to fire the whistleblower on the ABC, on the ABC stuff, but you can't actually uh, blow the whistle on a Democrat these days. No, no, we couldn't do anything like that. That would be bad. Uh, it's just it's very, very interesting uh, to watch the hypocrisy from the press. And I think the American public intuitively understands it, that everybody's got to protect their precious. That sort of stuff matters. Uh, you know, so Megan Kelly uh, is interviewing the w- person who did the leak. I want to play you this from her Instagram page. Megan Kelly's got an Instagram page uh, at Megan Kelly on Instagram. M-E-G-Y-N, remember. Uh, listen to this. Hey guys, it's me, Megan Kelly, and I'm here on my set where we just shot a really interesting interview. Have you been following this story about the Amy Robach hot mic moment at ABC? She was caught talking about how she said she had the Epstein story three years ago and ABC wouldn't air it. And she amended that to say, well, I didn't have the corroboration after ABC had publicly had to deal with this uh, hot mic moment. Anyway, the employee who sort of marked that clip in the system and then moved on to CBS got fired this week because they suspected she leaked this thing to this Project Veritas, which is the one that put it out there. Well, we just sat down with her in an exclusive interview and we got the full story and I think you're going to be fascinated by it. So we'll post it today here on Insta and on YouTube and I think you're going to find it just as riveting as we did. See you soon. That's Megan Kelly. So she she's talked to the person uh, who is blamed for leaking the clip. I assume the person did. She may deny it. We don't know. Uh, but if what, well, just as an aside here, it's very interesting to see Megan Kelly get back into this. Good for her doing that. Uh, she's a wonderful person. And um, he, we had one contentious moment at Fox where people uh, decided that we must hate each other. And actually, we didn't. Uh, we got along very well. And um, seeing her get back out there now after leaving MSNBC, and she's doing now Instagram stuff and YouTube stuff, uh, she, she's got the money to be able to fund it herself. She's not beholden to anyone. And here she comes with this. And it, look at the way the rest of the media, I mean, there are people in the media today, actual people in the media, executives and reporters who are mad at Megyn Kelly for having the audacity to interview this woman. Why? It is interesting that Tucker Carlson, and let, let me play this clip again. And, and for those of you who've stuck around for, for three hours today, I, I know this will be a little bit repetitive for some of you, but it's worth going back in this and taking it at a different angle. Let, let me let me do the, the Tucker Carlson quote. Uh, this is from Tucker Carlson last night on his show on Fox News. I, I, right. This was an interesting story, obviously, that with huge consequences yes. that people wanted to know about that involves powerful people on all sides of the political spectrum. This is not right. This is not a, a polarized story in some sense. Uh, the the people that Epstein was involved with, and we don't even know the extent of it, and we may never know, unfortunately. But they were not interested in doing more reporting on this because of, you know, threats from other people. Do do bosses not back up their journalists anymore, or do they not do it in TV, I guess? What's just so interesting is Fox is the only channel pursuing this. So you had ABC is clamped down completely. They called over to CBS to make sure they fired the employee who leaked it. Meanwhile, CNN, Jeff Zucker's network, 
and NBC, no Oppenheim's network, are not covering this. So in effect, all of them are covering up for Jeffrey Epstein. Why is this? And, and when they say we didn't have enough evidence so we couldn't have run these stories, I just, I, like, I don't believe that, right? Because they were happy to have Michael Avenatti on to talk about Julie Swetnick and so on and so forth. Like, when it's, do you know what I mean? Like, there, there was that, that, oh, we can't report this because we just don't have it 100% verified. That doesn't always, um, you know, comport with their standards for how the news yes. is covered, right? The only winner in this, I think, is Amy Robach. Meanwhile, the, you know, yeah. the, the celebrity anchor at her channel is having dinner with Jeffrey Epstein. She's trying to report on it. They're thwarting her. You know, I hope she's rewarded in some way. So when I first started uh, back, I was a lawyer, 2000 to 2006. I worked at a law firm, 2000 to 2005. And I, the blogging really took off. There were people who've been doing it since the 90s, but it really developed a name. It was, blog was short for web log, uh, like a journal. And I started one. I called it, it was ericerickson.org was the website, but I called it Confessions of a Political Junkie. And I just wrote every day about politics. Didn't even tell anyone I was doing it first. And then it started building traffic. And I was getting uh, first a couple hundred hits a day and then a couple thousand hits a day. And uh, people held on. I finally had to tell my wife, so I've been doing this thing. And, and she just thought it was nuts. Um, but... By 2004, 2005, you've got the Daily Coast on the left. You've got Red State on the right. You've got Powerline blog. You, you had uh, Pandagos on, on the left. You, you had a bunch of Pentagon. You had a bunch of uh, right and left blogs. And the media started running stories that, you know, the, the, you shouldn't rely on blogs for the news. The reason is because uh, th they have no editors. They have no fact checking. Um, they're, they're not going to be able to get you the accurate news. And, and more and more people did move on. And in large part, they moved on because the mainstream media had become so biased that they needed an outlet. Now, people have for sure taken advantage of that, though we do live in the age of fake news. Uh, there was a story I saw on BuzzFeed the other day, and I'm not a regular BuzzFeed reader, but it caught my eye, that uh, there are a number of sites in, in Canada in the United States that uh, pretend to be local news sites for your local community. And it's riddled with spam and they basically take stories and they run them through templates where they change the name of the city. So if you're in Albuquerque or you're in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, or you're in Plains, Georgia, you see the exact same story with the exact same pictures, but it says it happened in Plains or Albuquerque, depending on where you are. And the whole story is nonsense anyway. And, and people are going to these, they're, they're ad generated. They develop local traffic. They get advertisements and uh, People are going to them and they don't realize they're reading fake news. You dig around on the site, you realize there's something wrong with it. So certainly people are taking advantage of this. But this phenomenon of fake news could not have happened had the media not botched it. And the media continually botches it. The, the media has there's a level of arrogance in the media that has always existed, but now it's in. you see it in stark contrast with other people. So now you've got a journalist like Megyn Kelly, who was at Fox News, and because she was at Fox News, the rest of the media wanted her blackballed. And NBC had the audacity to hire Megyn Kelly, and her show was not bad. Her performance was not bad. But she was bad because she had been at Fox. And so the people who worked there had to leak about her. They had to ruin her life. They had to make it miserable. They ultimately found a nothing burger of a story that they could cause to be controversial and drove her out of there. And now she can bypass them all. 
And she can go on Instagram and she can go on YouTube and she can have a media presence and develop stories. You know, I've got on Instagram 10,300 some odd followers, 10,324 followers. Megan Kelly has over 9,000 and she's had her account for less than 24 hours. <laughs> but she's, but she is, um, she, she's building a presence on social media. She's a, a known celebrity person in the media. She's got an interview and she can now bypass the media and, and the media. They're mad at her today for this ABC and, and CBS. They're mad. Y'all, this is a, okay, let, let's, 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 let, let me give you alternative scenario here. You have a Republican donor who has been running a human trafficking business and has been peddling children kidnapped and held captive out to Republican politicians and other Republican donors and Republican businessmen for sex. The media would be all over that story. When the man gets arrested and goes to jail and dies in a prison cell and the guards were asleep, the camera was turned off, and there are signs of, of strangulation, they would say, he probably killed himself, but we should delve into this deeply and see what happened. And there would be a huge expose. They would be interviewing the guards. They would be having uh, Dateline and 60 Minutes and 2020 and CNN and all, all the like would be doing interviews. But this guy, Jeffrey Epstein, he was connected to the rich and powerful and Democratic donors and a Democratic president and Hollywood celebrities. This is a story that the media should want to cover. And they don't want to cover it. They want to avoid it. They are avoiding it like the plague. And you know what happens? You know what happens? When, and I don't think the media understands this. People will develop conspiracy theories. People will start to wonder. Because intuitively, no, we know from the biases of the press that if this were a Republican, they'd be all over it. We know intuitively from the press that they would want to destroy the Republican. They would want to find out what happened. They would want to see. They would want to know. They would probe. And instead, the employees are getting fired for having the audacity to cover the stuff up. The employees are getting fired and chased out of the media probably. And the reporters who are picking up the story are being blackballed and ignored. Why? Because Jeffrey Epstein worked with the rich and powerful. Jeffrey Epstein was a powerful guy and he was well-connected. And it's these people's friends who could be implicated. I mean, that really is what's going on here. This story is too good for the media to take a pass on. But they're protecting friends and they want access. We, we heard the ABC News reporter say that Buckingham Palace was going to punish ABC News if they ran the story three years ago, they had it. I've had the story for three years. I've had this interview with Virginia Roberts. We would not put it on the air. Um, first of all, I was told, who's Jeffrey Epstein? No one knows who that is. This is a stupid story. Um, then the palace found out that we had her whole allegations about Prince Andrew and threatened us a million different ways. Um, 
we were so afraid we wouldn't be able to interview Kate and Will that we that also quashed the story. And then, um, and then Alan Dershowitz was also implicated in because of the planes. She told me everything. She had pictures. She had everything. She was in hiding for 12 years. We convinced her to come out. We convinced her to talk to us. Um, it was unbelievable what we had. Clinton. We had everything. And ABC wouldn't run that story. They they ran the Kavanaugh story, even though the Kavanaugh story was less sourced. They ran all the Kavanaugh claims. But they wouldn't run this because they're protecting people. And so nowadays, you can bypass the press. You can go out. You can get a website and you can do this. And people are taking advantage of this. And and people are putting out fake news. People are going on Facebook. They're circulating things that aren't true. But they can only do this in large part because the trust in the American media has completely broken down. People do not trust the mainstream media. People do not trust their newspaper. People do not trust uh, the, the major news outlets on TV and radio. They don't trust it. And into that, a group of charlatans and con men can come and, and build up trust with you because they're new and alternative. They're telling you the things you want to hear. They're telling you the things you intuitively know to be true. They're giving you some real news and then they're twisting things and they're adding stuff that isn't true. And you, you can't trust the media monitors. You can't trust the fact checkers. The fact checkers in the media are some of the most liberal people. Fact checkers in the media exist because we stopped believing the media and the left in the media. So all the liberals in the media who were trying to tell us what was true became fact checkers. And they still lie to us. Remember, it was the, it was the mainstream media that told us Barack Obama was telling the truth that if you if you like your health care plan, you can keep your health care plan. It was three years later that they finally decided, oh, no, we can't keep saying that's true because Sarah Palin said something and we called her out for saying it. We called her a liar. It turns out she's true. We better correct this quick. And now you can bypass the medium. People like Megyn Kelly can get on Instagram and overnight have 10,000 followers. She's got a million person following on social media. The president, he can get his message out. He doesn't need to rely on the mainstream media. And, and, and the media reaction to all of this is they want to hold on. They're bitterly clinging to their legacy as opposed to innovating. And I got to tell you, a lot of the innovation in the media these days is garbage on radio and TV. A lot of it is garbage, absolute garbage. They're they're desperate and they're trying to innovate. And they're doing a bad job of it because they're they're desperate and they're panicked and they're rushing and you can tell. But it all has to do with their lack of credibility these days. You just don't get honest news from much of the mainstream media anymore, and they try to cover up honest news that might impact their friends or patrons. It is Eric Erickson here. Welcome back to the program. Uh, 55 after the hour. I'm not even going to give you the phone number now. We we don't have time. I, I, I can't get out of here without playing you this clip from... Jeffrey Tubin, I'm not a big fan of Jeffrey Tubin, but you, you actually do need to hear this. Democrats are saying they they're not going to subpoena him because they don't want you know a court battle to slow down their their inquiry. Does that make sense? Because I mean, Bolton seems essential. We don't know what he would say, but if there was a time when the president talked to Bolton about this, that would be directly from the president. It's a trade-off. I mean, I, I certainly think Bolton is the key, key witness here and could blow the case wide open, even to the point of getting perhaps Republicans to, to, to turn on the president. But, but the calendar is what Nancy Pelosi wants. I mean, she has committed to get this, not just through the Intelligence Committee, not just through the Judiciary Committee, but through the House of Representatives. Impeachment done by the end of the year. Even if that slips to January, let's say, there is absolutely no way a district court plus the Circuit Court of Appeals 
and to say nothing of the Supreme Court, could get a resolution with Bolton done by that point. So they're just going to give up on him. Yeah, listen, uh, Bolton is going to be very big. Um, but will he actually testify? So much of the media is saying that he's going to testify. What he's actually saying is that if the court lets him testify, he'll testify. Uh, but he's not sure that he's got clearance to testify. He doesn't care what the White House says at this point. But I, I, this feels like a trap for the Democrats. Am I the only one who thinks this, that it kind of feels like a, a trap? that the Democrats are waiting for John Bolton to show up and give them their silver bullet, and what he's going to do is pretty much Bob Mueller and tell them that there's no there there. And then they're going to hate him again. Right now, they're they're trying, oh, John Bolton, he's the grown-up in the room. We love John Bolton. I don't think it's going to get him very far. Uh, you know, the other interesting thing is, is how the media is suddenly building Jeff Sessions up again. Sessions deciding he's going to run. The president doesn't want him to. He was on Fox. Uh, do you regret that you left in the first place? Well, I had a great tenure at the Department of Justice in so many different ways, and I, I don't ever worry about regretting things like that. We were able to serve, be able to push the Trump agenda and do in an honorable way, and it was um, actually a great experience. I spent 15 years in the department, yep. so uh, I don't regret that, and um, it was an honor to serve, and I am, uh, it's not my seat in the Senate, but I believe I have something to give I have some convictions that I think need to be pushed. We need to get some Republicans moving. They haven't been pushing hard enough to advance the Trump agenda. And so that's what I look forward to doing. And, and if I Man, the, the media wants this to be a Sessions versus Trump thing, and it's not going to happen. And now they're attacking him for it because he's not giving them the fight they wanted.